Welcome to the 100% Finance Podcast with Juan Pablo, the podcast where we will show you how to get income-producing assets like real estate and businesses with little to no money out of your pocket so you can say goodbye to the 9 to 5 and be financially free. Here's your host, Mr. Cashflow, Mr. Credit Repair, Mr. Business Credit, Mr. Buy and Hold Until the Wheels Fall Off, the People's Mentor, Juan Pablo! Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Juan Pablo from the 100% Finance Podcast. This is Episode 5. The title of this podcast episode is Setting Up Multiple Strings of Income. Sounds great. I'm excited. On the call today, we have a great guest. Speaker Erica Williams. Welcome, Erica. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining the podcast. She's actually a serial entrepreneur. If you check her website out, you'll just be blown away by all the accolades and achievements, the resumes, all there for your for your eyes to see. It's just amazing the long list of items that she has, and I'll let her explain that as well. So again, she's a serial entrepreneur. Based in Austin, Texas, where uh, everything's bigger in Texas, right? Especially the That's Patriots, right? right? That's, That's right. right. Bigger Texas, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I'll let you, uh, you know, grab the mic, and if you could just tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, things like that, I'll appreciate it. Well, I'm uh, Erica Williams. I'm the creator of a Classy Crime blog. I'm also the creator of a construction company. A uh, small coffee company, <laughs> and I'm um, also I work in real estate, uh, trying to become more of an investor. But right now, working on the leasing and home buying side. Um, basically, I started from a I would say a North Carolina farm family, um, and around in the 80s, a majority of our whole family went into the military, uh, my mother included, uh, and it would just allowed me to travel, move around, and become more able to communicate with others and make friendships quickly. So, you know, my mother being in the military, some kids would always look at it as a negative. You're always moving around. But I think it was amazing positive. I got to live in Alaska. My brother got to live in Germany uh, and some other countries. Uh, I think it just makes you a more well-rounded person and you can see opportunity. So that's kind of how it, uh, in some roundabout way, I basically went to East Carolina University uh, in North Carolina, and I had friends out in Texas. So I came out to see Texas because uh, two things I really believe is location is king is king and cash flow is king because you can be in a location and not know it's great and you can also have a lot of cash flow and not realize how to use it or where, what to do with it. And so uh, those are two of the things I always believe are really important, cash flow and location. And I don't know if you need me to go on. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted you to repeat again. You said the business that you have, so, so the listeners can can hear this one more time, uh, all the other businesses you have or what you have going on right now. So so what I have going on right now is I'm in a, I'm officially a realtor in the state of Texas, so I can help people with buying and leasing homes, uh, buying homes, selling homes, uh, leasing apartments. As far as an apartment locator is probably what most people up here if they're, if they're from Texas area. Um, I also have a side construction company that basically is a turnkey uh, apartment complex uh, service company. Essentially, we come in, we clean, we clean the floors, the carpets, we paint, uh, we remodel the apartment. 
uh, for a great fee. I work with some really great subcontractors, and I have a great team with me. Uh, I have a company called Sergeant Roast Coffee. Uh, we're in the process of building up our own roaster, uh, local roaster here in Austin, Texas. But at the time, being, we're going to be working with, and as well, most people see me on the blog, uh, Classy Crime blog, which is www.classyseo.com, where I use YouTube and the blog to do videos and information and hopefully in the future some courses to help people reach the next level and how can they get those multiple streams of income and how can they focus and grow their business. And a really great book that helped me get these all in order because for a while, I mean, I'll be really honest here with your audience, when I came to Austin, you know, it was a hot mess. I got things going all over the place. Before I started my companies, I actually lost an apartment and I lost a car. So that's why I always say cash flow is king and location is king. Now, when I was in North Carolina, surrounded by family members in business, and it was easy to say location is king. Wow, I, I heard I heard that a lot from um, from from entrepreneurs that uh, for one, they always have a positive outlook on life. Like I never met an entrepreneur in my life who didn't have a positive outlook. You know, they always saw the the glass half full instead of half empty. You know, it's like you have to have that type of mindset to be an entrepreneur. And, and, and secondly, I want to mention about the things you discussed is that you saw an, a learning opportunity from every hardship, you know, that you experienced. And you're like, okay, well, I learned a lesson from this. It's not, it's, it's about cash flow as well as location. So let me adjust and apply this to my next steps in whatever endeavor I, in, I embrace or, or what have you. And I think that that's pretty awesome. But uh, I also wanted uh, the listeners to know too that you also are a uh, published author, and you also have online businesses. Yes. And is there anything else that I'm missing here? No, that's that's majority of it. And and what I tell people is, you know, there's a great book called The Hundred Dollar Start. If you can get your hands on that book within the next week, because ideals are not the problem. If you sit down and write on a piece of paper all the things that you'd want to create or fix or, or, or make, you can come up with ideals all day. It's applying it and putting it into place that is the problem. So a lot of people go, Erica, how can you have all these online businesses? Well, we have this great thing called the Internet and virtual assistants. We also have this great thing called, <clears throat> uh, you know, you can go through Shopify, you can go through any third-party vendor and, you know, within a few hours get your, get your website set up get your items for sale, and get moving. And so, I mean, you some people don't even need a website. I know some people selling uh, body butters and hair care products off of Facebook alone, just their Facebook following. And they go, hey, you need something? Hit me up. Now, they usually use PayPal, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people get hung up on how can I get started. They never take action. They get stuck in a planning phase. And I've heard this millions of times from million financial planners. People get stuck in a, a planning phase, they never take action. So your parents all of a sudden, you know, they die and they don't have insurance or something happened to people along the way because they never got out of the planning stage. Mm. That's, that's what they call that analysis paralysis, you know. You just aim to see if you can get that aim perfectly right, and then the target moves away. It will never be perfect. Uh, right, right. No conditions are ever perfect, but this, that should not hinder you from, from taking action. All right, so uh, thanks for that, for this, uh, this bit of wisdom. I want to ask you, what is multiple streams of income? For those out there that have a slight idea what it is, but what is your definition 
of multiple streams of income and why? So my, my definition of multiple streams of income is, for me, uh, this is how I will relate. Uh, as, like, just in my mind, you have to put something how it relates to you. So for me, um, when I've got a cell phone bill of $45 or I've got, you know, a storage unit or, or, or a car payment and there's just an extra little bit of $200 bill, I may not, not plan for it. Well, that's where multiple streams of income come in, where other streams can come in and supply that need. So for me, I, you know, I started out early from college investing in uh, monthly dividend stocks. And people be like, man, that takes so long. Well, yeah, it takes long if you're getting with Coca-Cola and they're giving you 2%. There's plenty of companies that give you from 10% back on your money annually to all the way to 22, 30%. Now, I would never recommend people go over the 15% margin because a lot of the 10 to 15% people are energy companies, oil companies, healthcare companies, and real estate investment teams, or REIT, which I'm saying the last T wrong. But what I started doing is, I worked at Lowe's for a little bit, and while I was at Lowe's, they had this great 401k package where Lowe's would match you 6%. Well, Lowe's had workers inside of Lowe's who had been working there for 10, 15 years, making $10 an hour. And for me, that blew my mind because that was crazy. But at the end of the day, when I started talking to those people, those same people had hundreds of thousands of dollars in stock options. So so on one hand, you're like, wait, wait, here doing this job for $10 an hour, but guess what? Lowe's was matching them 6% on their money every single paycheck for those 15 years. So, I mean, there was even a guy in there, they called him uh, Mr. Millionaire Mark. So Mark before, <clears throat> and this is this will be two, two lessons. Mark was a high-level manager. He had $3 million in uh, Lowe's stock. Well, at the time, Lowe's was letting people know, listen, we're about to, to um, buy back some of this stock, and it's actually going to cut yours into a third. So he'd been running around telling everybody, talking about his $3 million. Well, guess what? His $3 million got cut down to $1 million once Lowe's did their uh, their deal. So the lesson on that is, you know, hey, it's great to have this money in the bank, but if you don't have it in your hand and if you don't have control over this asset, that, that's, whew, that right there is a lesson in itself. So that's the first thing I want to tell everybody out there. If you're working a job, I don't have a problem with you working a job. Like if you feel that's your future, that's fine, but what you need to do is be smart about your money. Your money needs to be going in a 401k, and then your money also needs to be going somewhere in a separate account, like an E-Trade account, a Meritrade account, with monthly dividend stocks that you choose. Because you don't know, if your company has you in mutual funds or something that you may not have control over, at least you have control over the money you're putting in, possibly Lending Club or um, Ameritrade, E-Trade, or monthly dividend stocks. You can have control over that. And even if you're putting 5 10% away a month, that completely adds up over a year. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. Um, that's what really got me when I when I was an employee was uh, the lack of control. Like some people may say, well, being an entrepreneur or a business person is risky. Investing in stocks and bonds and real estate is risky as well. And uh, I like to be somewhere where my income is, is secure, you know, via a paycheck you receive every two weeks. But then you really think about it. I'm like, that seems to be more risky because yeah. you have no control. They can let you go any moment. Any moment. Any moment. And I'm like, I would rather uh, diversify my income through multiple streams so that if one stream happens to dry up, it might be a drought. Who knows? It might not rain in a minute. The sun might be out shining. Dry up my stream. 
At least they have other streams coming in. That's right. I'm not thirsty. You know? Um, that's, that's, uh, so the most important thing to take away from that, that whole thing I was talking about is, one, get your income up. I mean, I even know teachers who love teaching, but in the summer they got to get a second job because teaching doesn't pay that much. But she can control what her second job is in the summer. You know what I'm saying? She can have control over what she does in her summer. So, I mean, I've met real estate agents in the summer. I've met, I've met all kind of different uh, – I've met Uber and Lyft driver teachers in the summer. I've met all kind of people in the summer. And so my first lesson is, one, get your income up. Two is now control where your income's going. And I meet a lot of people who have $200, $300 cell phone bills, home Internet package deals. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like that's a expense that's not even necessary. You can get you can get the same iPhone and pay forty five dollars a month. You you know what I'm saying? You have to really kind of pay attention to where your money's going and make sure it's going appropriately. So um, after that, what I would recommend most people do is go on Mint M I N T. Mint basically goes uh, goes ahead and looks at all your different accounts and helps you kind of know what your expenses are, because I think a lot of people, when they use their debit card, I think they use the rule of 10% more than they would usually spend. So, you know, if, you need, if you're that person, you maybe need to just walk around cash and say only in cash. But if you can use Mint, you can see where your money's going, what you're spending it on, and kind of get a tracking on what's, where's your money going, because that's the most important. Uh, number two, I forgot the name of the site because I don't have it with me, but there is a digital savings site. Basically, all you do is it's just like Mint. You link it up to your account, and what it does is automatically, every time your paycheck comes in, or direct deposit comes in on a Thursday or Friday, they immediately take 10% off the top and send it to whatever bank account you've chosen. And for some people, that might be a lifesaver. That 10% they're putting away all year long, and all of a sudden, a tire goes flat, an engine bus, something, they have that money in the savings that they haven't been looking at or don't have access to, and boom, there you go. That's a lifesaver for them. That right there creates you more than one strength. <clears throat> um, but, but for some people, they might just need to work on the income. Uh, I know plenty of people who moved here to Austin like I did at the time, and they didn't have the job situation set up. So what did they do? They became a 1099 employee. They drove for Uber, Lyft, Instacart. Uh, and I know a lot of people. I'm doing a little experiment in the current time on it, see how much money people can really make. But at the end of the day, a lot of people I'm talking to are making four and five and $6,000 a month. Because what do you have when when you are unemployed? What do you have on your time? What do you have in front of you, Pablo? You said if I'm unemployed? Yeah, if you're unemployed and you're like, man, I'm broke, what am I doing? What do you have right now that nobody else has? Oh, I have uh, passive income. You do have mailbox passive money. That's right. You got mailbox money. But what is, the, what is the guy that has no mailbox money? What does he have? He has time. He has nothing but time. And so... When I tell people to get their income up and they're like, man, I'm looking for jobs and doing this, okay, that's great, but you have that time. A lot of people don't have time. You can be a um, – there's a thing called Task Rabbit. You could be in a virtual assistant to somebody locally. Uh, you can do Uber. You can do Inv. You can do List, uh, Instacart where you're just dropping groceries off. You can get that money up if you've lost a job. So, so I always want to give people that out. When you get an employee, a lot of people come up with business ideals. At the end of the day, they still need a little bit of capital. It's their time to make those businesses ideals flow. Mm-hmm. That's that's very that's very true. And um, I would like to add in regard to the the streams of income. 
you know, there's, there's three ways of receiving income. You can do it as you discussed through earned income. You know, you're, you're trading your time, your, your time for dollars, so to speak, as well as portfolio income, like you mentioned. You know, if you're investing in certain type of uh, paper mm-hmm. assets, as well as through uh, other ways of, of, of passive income, like if you have residual income or uh, rental income. Oh, yeah. You get paid off royalties, things like that. So I always believe, too, that um, – even though I say quit your day job, don't get me wrong, like doing a, a podcast or doing a uh, YouTube video or what have you, I'm expending my time. But I believe that your income should always have a two-pronged approach. It should be earned and passive and or portfolio. Yeah. So that way, worst case scenario, if you're not able to trade your time for dollars, let's say your health goes wrong, then knock on wood. So you yeah. can still get that passive or that portfolio income coming in. You know, so it's another so, reason why you should have multiple streams. Yes, go ahead. I was going to say how to get to the next level. Like we we started and earned. We went to the the portfolio, paper kind. Then you want to get the passive. What I would tell most people is you have college students coming out of college right now, and just a paper saying they're going to make you know fifty thousand dollars a year, they can buy a house in certain regions of the country, in a lot of regions actually. And a lot of people are coming out of college in the Dallas area, in the Houston area. And have a piece of paper saying, "Hey, I'm starting this job. I'm going to make forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year. Entry. This is my first job ever, big time job. And banks are letting them get in at a hundred percent metal money down at USDA loans or three point five percent FHA. Well, at that point, if you're that student and you've got in that house, right? Let's say you go ahead and you got in that house. You should be renting those other two rooms out." Until you, until you're just banking like crazy, I, I would definitely. That's my next step for someone is once you've figured out your money, if you got your income up, or uh, you're just a student coming out and you have a letter saying this is how much money you're going to make, you can get an apartment with that letter and you can also buy a house with that letter. So I'd always recommend buying a duplex. But if you can't get the duplex, if you get a house and you know other young people in your same age group or you're in that set of life, that stage of life, I'd rip out the rooms out. And I mean, there's a woman called Paula Pant on a Ford, uh, Ford anything. That's what she's doing right now, and one of her one of her units, it was funny, she ran it to a friend, and she's like, by the time she looked at it, over the course of two or three years, she saved $43,000 in payment. Wow. $43,000. That's, that's funny you mentioned that, because I did the same thing <laughs> my first job out of college. I bought a duplex, and one unit, I had a single-family uh a woman stay there with her, uh, not a single family, sorry, single uh, mother stay there with mm-hmm. her children. And the other one, I run it out to roommates. But my roommates were international students who would be willing to pay a higher price to stay for short-term accommodation. Yeah, and you can do that and just be there living it for free. Yeah, for free. free housing. So right there, now not only do you have free streams of income, you're actually saving some money, and you can turn around and invest that money even more. Like, you know, the next year you can invest in a whole house by yourself. Or you could do, there's other options you can do. But I, I, that's something I recommend to people highly, you know. And it also depends on your age. Some people don't want to do that when they're in their later years. I get that. Well, if you don't want to do that, if you're like, I'm 30-something years old and I don't want to do that. Well, guess what? Your first house purchase should be a duplex then. So at least you're living rent-free, almost, you know, or you got some some low, low, low expenses because the other side's paying a really good price. And in some areas, you can get some some nine hundred to a thousand to a thousand five hundred people paying for a two bedroom, two you know, two bath on the other side. You know, so there's great opportunities in that. But to switch it from there to business, 
Um, the reason I kind of started a lot of my businesses is I was able – I had my business in North Carolina across from a college called Federal State University at a coffee shop. It was popular. It was great. It was nice. It had a TV. It was cozy. Well, guess what? The city decided they're going to tear up the highway, <laughs> a four-lane highway, so not only is traffic slowed down, not only can students no longer safely walk across the road, it impacted me and five other businesses, and we actually had to close our doors. So when I talk about business, you need to be able sometimes to have not only an online business, but a locate, not a location-dependent business. Because you can start a business, but location has to be king. And for a temporary moment, location was king for me. Students could walk in and out, study, drink coffee. I'd do this little thing where I had ice cream mixed with espresso, make a little milkshake. It was great. So, uh, so from learning from that whole experience about employees and, and staff and people, once I got to Texas, I was like, okay, well, now I know how to do these things. I know how to start an actual brick-and-mortar business, and I actually know what it takes and what I can do. And so learning from that spirit, so that's why I tell people there's nothing wrong with failing. There's nothing wrong with learning something along the way. Don't let, you know, it wash you out. Like, don't let it bum you completely out that you failed at something because guess what? You can start again. I mean, you had Colonel Sanders starting making chicken at 60, 65 or 60. You have all these people who started businesses later in life. The average entrepreneur, according to, uh, uh, entrep- I think it's um, Inc., INC, Magazine is actually 44 to 48 years old. So all these stories you see in the news about someone being 20 and 21 years old, that's awesome. That means you're ahead of the curve. That means you're learning. You can do this. But the average guy out there starting his first company is 44 to 48 years old. Mm, I think a lot of people have that misconception, like, oh, I'm too old to get started. No, you're not. You're not. Even that same thing you said about Colonel Sanders. He had the same, a similar story that you had that, uh, because of eminent domain, the government decided to build a highway in front of his chicken shop. So he had to close down his doors, and he could have been like, oh, woe is me. You know, nothing ever goes right for me. I guess I should just retire and live off Social Security for the rest of my life. And he said, you know what? Let me switch the game up. Let me sell my recipe. Exactly. And that's what that's- he did. Yeah, so that's finding an opportunity in, in difficult situations. Also, people who people who think uh, when they start a business, they're going to make money right off the bat. Sorry, that doesn't always happen, not necessarily. Even in franchises, that doesn't always happen. Um, uh, according to, I'm trying to think of his name on, on, I think it's Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. One of his quotes was like, if you haven't made, if your business, if your business hasn't made money in three years, okay, you can close your doors. Because in three years, you should have figured it out. But a lot of people, yeah, three years is a long time. But a lot of people, if they actually, listen to others and get some mentorship, they can save themselves a lot of heartache and actually kind of go through the motions faster. And I think sometimes people are scared to talk to other business owners because they think, well, he'll think I'm copying him or competing with him or his competition. No, there's so many lanes out here for everybody. There's so many customers. I tell people there's 300 million Americans. You you have an opportunity to get any amount of customers. Even in the African-American community, I tell people there's 39, there's technically 40 million. There's 40 million black people. You have an opportunity to reach any number of those black people or Hispanic community, same thing, or Asian community where people think, well, it's too saturated. It's never too saturated. Right now in Brazil, they have poor uh, poor blacks and some wealthier blacks in the north who have started making natural hair care products. They've got over 100 different companies, and they're becoming some of the fastest millionaires in Brazil that history they've ever seen. Why? 
Because there's tons, there's millions of Brazilians that need good hair care products. So don't ever think your market's too saturated or you can't do what you need to do. All you need is your 100 to 1,000 customers. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the book. It's called A Thousand True Fans. It's a theory. Oh. Same thing with the book Long Tail. Okay. Um, these are, if you don't ever read anything else, these are two of the things you should definitely read. It's called The Long Tail, and it's also called A Thousand True Fans. So they started working with these different artists and noticing the artists that just had a repeat thousand fans that spent, you know, anywhere a certain amount of money a year, 25 to to $100 a year off that artist, that artist did just fine. That artist made it. That artist succeeded. And so what people have to realize is if you have a business and you're like, man, it's just a small business. If you have a certain number of customers and they're repeat customers where you either got their emails or you're sending them coupons to their house so they can come back to your business, you're going to make it. You're going to make it past all those other businesses that fail because you're reaching out to your customers and you're engaging them and you're keeping them. Right, and or so, at least a mailing list. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of business. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's I'll, kind of how those businesses open. I wanted to touch, too, when you were talking about, uh, you know, asking people, if, hey, can you show me the way since you're successful at it? And they might have the misconception that, oh, this mentor or perceived mentor might treat me as a competitor and might not be willing to share his or her knowledge with me, a young whippersnapper. But I'm like, I beg to differ because there's a lot of people out there who are successful, and they're successful for a reason because they have an abundance mindset. They have a mindset that there's plenty out there for you and I, and just because you come into the game, it doesn't mean it's subtracting from what I already have. How many times have you driven down the street and you seen uh, dry cleaners across the street from each other? Exactly. A gas station on every single intersection. You see a Shell gas station, a BP, a Texaco, but they're all making money. You can too. It's just all about your mindset. It is. So, so go ahead. You want to you want to touch on that as well? I was gonna say what the funny thing about gas stations. It, same funny thing about poor communities and gas stations and also convenience stores. A lot of times you don't have big grocery stores in local poor communities. So the convenience store man makes the majority of his money not from the gas, but from what you're buying on the inside. And I dare anybody ride in a rougher neighborhood and go stop in the convenience store. That convenience store has got sandwich meat, it's got milk, it's got yogurt, it's got, you name it, it's got it because the people in that community need a grocery store. So I always tell people, don't get mad at um, when immigrants come here, they're not looking for jobs. Now, people might say, well, Mexicans are looking for jobs. That's a stereotype. When people come to America from their country, number one thing on their mind is starting a business, getting an opportunity and starting a business. The IRS has amazing records. So the IRS put this thing out. I mean, this thing has been going since the 1970s, 1980s. The IRS put out the average penniless poor Korean person and Haitian that comes to America within five years of the, when they first come and they're zero. The money they have on them is zero. Within five years, on their fifth year or six-year taxes, they are technically millionaires. How does that happen? How does that happen that me and you live in America, and we've been here for five years. We've been here for more than five years. We're not millionaires. Why? Because that person came here to this country with fresh eyes. They came with a purpose and a mission, and they didn't get off the mission. And so mm -hmm. when I keep reading things like that, and I keep meeting Africans and Haitians and different people who are owning gas stations and owning convenience stores and owning things, you know, multifamily. That right there told me if they can do it and they've come here already with a handicap as far as language, 
and knowing things and knowing people and connections, you can do it. And I think that is the the biggest thing that drives me to do these videos and do these businesses because I see those people. And I also read about uh, Marcus uh, Harvey or Garvey. I'm going to mess his name up. But he was one of the, the bigger uh, proponents for people going back to Africa. Uh, I'm going to mess up his story. But the point of his story is he ended up owning uh, newspapers, a uh, newspaper company, a, a taxi company, a hotel, a grocery store. I mean, this guy was just owning all these different things because the opportunity was there. And this was in the, in the 1890s. Okay, this is right after slavery was over and Civil War was over. And, I mean, same wow. thing with uh, uh, the Black Wall Street out of Tulsa. When they had over 21, um, if I'm not mistaken, they had 21 different uh, grocery stores, um, three taxi cab companies, uh, 10 schools. They had six airplanes. This is when, this is 1921. People didn't have airplanes, but they had six airplanes. And this was just a black community shopping in its own area, uh, tailors, companies, you name it. You can Google it. It's a big fight right now in Tulsa and Oklahoma for them to make sure they teach this history because guess what? Their neighbors were jealous. Their poor white neighbors in another county were jealous, came over and burned the city down. So, I mean, it, there's there's history of people pulling together and making money. So, you know, I just want to dispel those ideals and those notions that, well, you know, grandma was poor, mama was poor, so I'm going to be poor. No, you don't have to do that. That's not necessary anymore. You know what I mean? There's opportunity. Um, same thing with when I meet people who <clears throat> I think moving around and the thing I'm trying to say is when you meet more people, it just expands your horizon. And I have this thing I learned from Chad Thompson. He's a, a great, uh, back to you on the internet. He's a MLM success star. He's retired at 26. But the point is his thing he always told people is meet two new people a day. Meet two new people a day. And as I as I looked at that, I was like, two new people a day? But that's easy. In our life, when we go around and we go out or we go to meetup groups or happy hours, it's easy to strike up conversations with people. But you, you'd be amazed if you spoke to two new people a day, how your life would change at the end of the year. So um, that just plays into that you can start a business. You can go in these poor communities and buy something for cheap and get started for a cheaper startup cost than if you go straight to the rich, rich neighborhood. You can go and buy a gas station. I mean, right now there's a gas station, or I don't know, you shouldn't even tell it, but there's a gas station for sale for $75,000 in San Antonio right now. $75,000. And, and, and it's just a guy selling because he's moving on to a bigger one. And so there's opportunity. You know, another thing is 48% of all the hotels in America are owned by Indian Americans. And I'm not talking about Indian Native Americans. I'm talking about Indians, Americans from India. Came to America, and 48% of all the hotels in the whole United States are owned by them. You can go on LoopNet and shop for hotels that are for sale. You know, you can go on, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, it's another website about hotels, hotels for sale or something.com. But there's opportunity, endless opportunity in America. And that is a reason when I wake up in the morning, I have to super focus. And there's a book I read called One Thing by Gary Keller. If you don't get any other book, get that book. And it, and it just gets you focused. It goes, what is, you have to hour block your time. So that's how I've grown these businesses, is just hour blocking my time. Right. That probably goes into our next question. It's about how do you, how do you manage all these businesses, all these uh, multiple streams of income, so that 
you're not labeled as a jack of all trades, but a master of none, but all of them are operating successfully. So first off, you have to know your numbers. What what is what is the numbers in your mind to make you successful? Now I know people who you know have companies and their company makes fifty thousand dollars a year. Some people are like that's not no money, but guess what? He owns it. Nobody tells him what to do. That's his business. He made fifty thousand dollars a year from his business, and he can write off whatever he so chooses. So um, you have to know your number. And for me, my numbers were low. My numbers were like, listen, I need this business to sell a thousand a month. Right? And so people are like, a thousand dollars, that's all, Erica? And I'm like, yes, you know why that's all? Because I'm just getting started. Next year we can boom those numbers up. And I think that's why a lot of people give up in their businesses because they're like, man, I'm only making like a thousand five hundred dollars a month. Or I'm only making two thousand dollars a month. So what? If you, that's the problem. If you properly, let's say it this way. If you were working your job and you were throwing money into some dividend stocks, you were throwing money into uh, some lending club or a prosper, uh, and you were, then you got your business, all these different streams you had going, you wouldn't be stressing over your business not making a lot of money the first month. It, that's, that's the problem. I think a lot of people are not properly invested in themselves or funded their different accounts. So when they start a business, you know, the business doesn't make 10 grand over every month. They're like, I'm hurting. And that's ridiculous because you're not, you're not really planning to win. So with my business is what I started doing is I literally sat down and I'm like, hour block. I'm going to hour block this company. I'm going to look at all the sales. I'm going to look at the marketing. Do I need to do more Facebook ads? Do I need to do uh, some promotion? And some things can be free. Like I go to volunteer events wearing my company shirt. So when a person takes a picture of me and they ask me, oh, who are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm from uh, Sergeant Rose Coffee. Or I'm from Grandview Services. Or I'm from, you know, Weikert Realtors. Whatever it is I'm so choosing to promote that day, that's free promotion. And everybody I meet that sees me with that shirt on at that volunteer event, boom. You, you know what I mean? I've already opened a door to a new potential new customer or potential person that's going to interact with me. And then they could introduce me via Facebook, via, you know, that picture we took out of that event, a thousand people could see that picture. Or, you know, it could be in the newspaper. And so what I've just started doing is, Hour blocking. You know, I'm going to hour block one of my most easiest companies I have, which is funny because I, I'm not going to make fun of construction not being hard, hard work, laborious, and make, make sure you have to be attention detailed oriented. But for what I do, our most busy time is in the summer. And in Texas, summer lasts forever, but you know, four to five months of summer in Texas technically, um, is my busiest time for this business. So already people are like, a seasonal business? Man, what is that crap? But I know people in this business that I'm in construction for apartments that are making half a million dollars a year of a very few contracts. So you can knock that man, but you have to know your numbers. You have to know what are my numbers. What are my numbers, and, and what do I have to do to get those multiple streams of income, right? So for one of my businesses, honestly, in the daytime, all I'm doing is the hour call, hours of calls in the morning, one hour, because I'm just following up on my guys. I'm seeing how the painting went. I'm seeing if they if I can do anything else for them. Do they need more business from me? Do they need me to stop by and see something? And in that hour, I can chart out the rest of my week. Did they need me to stop by? No, great. Did I did my guys need to go back and check it up? No, great. So now at the next level, all I gotta do is make sure my virtual assistant make sure those guys the information gets logged in. I mean, you can even have a CPA do this. A local CPA for probably hundred to five hundred dollars a month, depending on how big your business is. Most people will do for a hundred a month. They just gonna look over your information. 
And because all my employees are 1099, I pay no taxes. So let's say I pay them $12 an hour. The amount of hours they work, times $12, boom, that's their check. They're getting cut. So these things can be real simple if you want them to be. You have to decide. And you have to decide your numbers. And so for some people, making 30000 a year off their business was just the bump they needed that year to get them to the next level. Another thing I, um, I have a friend who basically started out with vending machines. And people were like, vending machines? Yeah, yeah, here's the deal. He started out with vending machines. He'd buy them off eBay. He'd buy them off Craigslist. He'd buy them off Amazon. Wherever he could find them, he'd get them, clean them up, make them look nice, and then go to local businesses around the city. He then went to eventually over 150 businesses in the city. And each business, he said, listen, you wow. let this machine sit in here, I'm going to give you 5% of whatever I make every month. So let's say every vending machine at one point in time was making $55 a month. Now, if you do that times 150 locations, you tell me how much money he was making. I mean, if you, you know, I don't have my calculator on me. That's what I'm only telling you to do. Big numbers, <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he's not, you know, he's making some cake, okay? And so something as little as vending machines is something he did in his part-time, and it was his little LLC, which everybody's like, man, I just want something to start right away, DBA. Yeah, everybody could start with a DBA, but that's, that's all that liability is on you. And the LLC, if you got to spend $100 in your state or $300 in your state, do it. It saves you time unless you're just out of it. Like, uh, I just want a DBA. And the, the thing you need to do as far as business, honestly, come up with the idea or the opportunity that you need to sell, right? If this is whatever the opportunity is. For him, it was vending machines. Well, what did he do? He went and got an LLC. He paid some money. He went and got a business bank account, which most people can do. He got an EIN number, which is free from the IRS, and put $100 in his bank account, and then went around all around the city. It's a little one sheet of paper contract that said, hey, I'm going to put my vending machine here. Um, I'm just letting the insurance company know it's here, and, you know, it, I'm going to give you 5% of whatever I make, and I'll let you know. Now, he went around the city just asking politely business owners because a lot of small business owners are actually in their stores or their managers can make the decision. So he had 150 vending machines at the end of this thing, and most of those vending machines cost him from 50 bucks to 100 bucks. So, yeah, over the course of time, yeah, that's a big investment. But if you're working a job and you're getting a paycheck and you're just shoveling off $50 once a week to buy a machine, so every week you're buying a machine that's going to create you $55 a month, you're going to get some focus on that. You're going to start shoveling away more money to get more machines, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's so that's, yeah. And so at that point, you know, um, being smart and putting it into multiple streams, is that's what separates you from others. I mean, there's one guy, he basically had a restaurant and was making all his money, just making a killing at this restaurant. But his expenses were so high. He's got a big old house, he's got a big old car, his wife's living big. Well, something happened one month, whoops, now, now he's messed up. Why? Because he wasn't diversifying. So I just want to make that clear to people. Like, you can have a business and, and it make a, a bunch of money. But if you have not invested that money well, if you not have not diversified that money, if you've not put that money away, you, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself in the long run because you're forcing your business to make so much money. And that's the that's one of my biggest problems <clears throat> with people when they ask, well, Erica, I want my business to make 100000 Well, okay, well, that's great and all, but your business might only make twenty five grand this year. It might only make thirty five grand. But you got to get started. And there, here's a number. I love this. I love facts. I love numbers and, and from the IRS. I love it. So in America, right now, one in every ten Asian Americans own a business. Now, it doesn't mean they own a business, an actual building, an actual whatever. It just means on paper, 
they have a DBA, an LLC, or an EIN number. Okay? One in 10 for Asian Americans. One in 34 for white Americans. One in 54 for Hispanic Americans. And one in 110 for African Americans. Wow. So, right there, if that didn't blow your mind when I first saw that, I almost got emotional because all that person did was go on the IRS.gov site and get an EIN number for free. And now that makes that whole group of people look like, man, they're a bunch of business owners. No, they're not. Some of them do might only be selling something on Amazon every once in a while. Not all of them are, are business owners, but the tax breaks and the deductions and the opportunities are so great that I get frustrated when people tell me they have not got an AIN number or legitimized their business. Because I meet plenty of black people out there who have a hustle. They have some kind of hustle going, you know, and, they, and they're making money, but it's not on paper. You're hurting yourself. Legitimize your stuff on paper. I know you worry about Uncle Sam. Just get on paper, get you that business bank account, and get started getting your write-offs up. Like, get you some write-offs, get you some, some deductions. And in a few years then, you can start saying, look, okay, first three years I did a lot of write-offs. This year I'm going to do so many. So I can start purchasing things via my business, via my business credit, uh, via my business card. I mean, I even went to Sprint and got me a business a credit account. I was like, I want my phone to be on my business account. Okay. Well, just show me your EIN or your bank account. They literally, that's all they asked for me. Show me your EIN number or your bank account, your business bank account. So, I mean, it's, it's opportunity out there for people. As long as they capture their ideal, legitimize it, get your business bank account, and, and just be smart about it. Okay, and for you setting up your multiple streams of income, was this done like linear, like one business was set up and then the next one and then the next one? Or did you kind of set up businesses uh, simultaneously? So, for, you? for me, opportunities come every day. You just have to know which ones to say no to. You can't be a you can't be a shotgun and you can't be a fire hose all at one time. You have to line it up so that let's say, uh, for example, I would say I was working um, inside the apartment industry. I was the person that's inside. You come in, you see me at the front desk. You see me as assistant. I was assistant manager of a property, and as assistant manager, I'm like, yeah, I'm making money. I'm making forty something a year. You know, I'm I'm doing it right. Well, at that time, you know, I'm making. 35, 45 or something a year, and and I was already getting the itch to go back to be an entrepreneur because sitting in the office every day was driving me crazy. But when I saw on my desk paperwork, doing the bills, paying the bills for the paperwork, this is the biggest secret ever, but, you know, I was doing the bills, and I started seeing paychecks line up for one guy who was a carpet cleaner. And this was a guy, he, he was kind of a little short guy. You wouldn't even notice him in a crowd. He had a van. He had some magnets on the side of his van, and he was walking away from our summer <clears throat> with $50,000 from where he cleaned our carpets, and he only had two other employees. And I thought, man, this dude works at over 10 different apartment complexes. That's when it clicked for me. That's when it was like, boom, you need to start this now. So on that note, I started that company even while I was working inside the apartment industry. Now, a few months later, the opportunity to open up to connect with a local roaster, and a roaster in Dallas opened up, and I had already missed coffee because I just love coffee. I love coffee and teas and wine. 
because they're there's something that you can share with others and it's just a it's just a place and a time. Like, you know, you can go to a coffee shop and sit down for a minute, have a cup of coffee and get your mind right. You can go to a winery equipment and enjoy enjoy the wine. And so those are avenues in my future. Of course I really want to get into wine, but there's something in the future about wine. But for now, the coffee roaster just has me. I guess I guess if you're raising money, it'd be good to have them a little loose, you know, to to, to pitch your spiel and probably get some some money out their pockets. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, what for wine or for coffee? <laughs> <laughs> oh, either one. It seems like a more yeah. relaxed atmosphere. Yeah, oh yeah. Just to oh. kind of pitch whatever you're pitching to to a potential investor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So. um so for me, that's kind of where coffee came back into play. So I already messed with this construction company, and then I started dabbling in the other company because at that point, I ended up running into somebody, and all he did was sell his coffee on Amazon. I'm not going to name this company yet because I haven't, interviewed him. I haven't asked for permission to share stories like that. But what he ended up doing is he put his label out there, he got his bag out there, but the only thing he sells, he sells it almost like subscription, um, which I'll talk about subscription in a second. He sells it basically like this. You go on Amazon and you get the like, you're like, oh, I want to buy this coffee. Oh, this is great. Well, I can only buy it in two pounds. Okay, two pounds? Well, that's 20 bucks, but I'll do it. Oh, oh, and if I buy it, I get a choice of getting a a re-up on it every two months. So just in that concept, a lot of people have gone on there, clicked, boom, yes, I will get this coffee because I like this coffee, and it can come to me every two months. That's cool. So every two months out of that one customer, He's getting $20, $25, and whatever the shipping is with through Amazon. And so what? for him, he's doing these big old batches of coffee. He's not doing little coffee. He's doing big old batches of two-pound bags of coffee, $20 every time, getting it out the door. And so then he knows how many recurring customers he has in the next two months or three months. He has a few options with the buttons now, but before when I was looking at it, he only had it like every two months. And so how simple that was. Like, he didn't have a storefront. He had a website, but he didn't have a storefront. But he was making lots of money off his coffee. And so I was like, man, that's a way to get the foot in the door before we go back big, going big south. And and I'll talk oh, about... Bring this. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's one other uh, company I have that's kind of funny, but <clears throat> it's farming. And people go, farming? What the crap? Well, the thing with farming is, right now, if you're 35, under 35, black woman, or some type of minority, they're giving out millions of dollars of farm money, uh, and loans-wise, for 1% interest, which is hard to get. So what I ended up doing is that I found, like, you know, an acre over here, acre over there, a couple acres over here, and I'm just getting one acre and just planting a bunch of pecan trees on it just planting a bunch of orchards. And so that's kind of something I'm in the process of doing right now. And people go, why would you do that? And I'm like, because eventually the more acres you get beside it, or you can plant up to 300 trees on one acre. It depends on how you do that one acre. It's some really great layouts that I would love to share with people, but it's opportunities to do all kinds of things. Um, and some of those things won't require all that much of your time. And orchard won't require my time. It will only require me to have workers in the summer and a worker basically that comes in and makes sure the water's running, the irrigation's right. So, I mean, it's, okay. so, there's ways to layer it up, but you have to get the businesses that work with your schedule. 
Okay. And, uh, what is what is playing a bigger what's the, what's playing a bigger game for you? Um, playing a bigger game for me. I had a lady come into one of our business classrooms, and she said, "Um, okay, everybody, let's check out a sheet of paper, and I want you to write down what you make right now." Okay, it's at the top of the paper. So everybody's writing, and she's like, "It's gonna be secret. You're gonna fold the paper in half. Everybody's gonna see this." Okay, okay. I want everybody in the second half of the sheet to write what you want to make a year, right? What do you want to make? Just whatever number comes to your heart. So on my paper, I write, I want to make uh, $2 million a year. Why not? This is my paper. I can write whatever I want on it. I fold my paper, give it up to the teacher. So the teacher, this is a class of about 40, I think it was 45 people. She starts reading the income. She writes the medium on the board. The medium income in that room at the time was $35,000. No, it was 35. It had to be somewhere around 40 or 50 or even lower. I knew it. It was close. It was like 35 to 40, but that was the medium. So, you know, you may have somebody in class that was making no money, right? So what was the dream income? Take a guess. About the same. A little bit higher, maybe 40, 50. $75,000. No, $75,000 a year was the medium dream income in that classroom. And so as she's reading off, like she didn't read off what the people made. Like she was being nice. But she pulled out the second, like the second part of your sheet, she read it out about what you wanted to make. And there was like one or two people that said 100000 There were one or two people that said ninety. But I was the only one that one said ball. One all ball that said two million. Two million dollars, right? And she laughed. <laughs> But the funniest part about it is she laughed about it. And in my mind, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, but I was like, this is my paper. Laugh, 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 laugh like it was, uh, like it was comical? Like yeah, she was, was like, uh, what's he telling everybody on their paper? an idea? Yes, yes. And because she told everybody before we started, now you need to write a realistic number. Now what's a realistic number? You live in America. You can, you can go as high as you want. What's a realistic number? Like right now, let's say every year I bought a house. Every year I bought a house. Let's say let's say I'm a, a mover. I like moving around. So every year, I know people who live in apartments and moved every year for 10 years. Every year they had a new apartment. I'm like, that's tiring, okay? So let's say I did that with houses. Let's say every year I bought a house. Every year for 10 years because let's say it's real cheap and, and I keep getting an FHA 3.5 down or I go to the edge of the town and I get USDA 100% down. And I keep getting those, right? And for 10 years, I keep moving, and I rent all the houses out. At the end of 10 years, and I still worked a job, I'd already be over that $100,000 mark as far as rental income. If you can buy, if you do it right, depending on which your numbers are, I'm just doing a roundabout thing here. But you'd be at $100,000, so already you'd be past half those people in the class dream number. So, so that's my thing is people are limiting themselves. I have an aunt, and, and I, you know, she might not hear this podcast. I ain't scared of her. But the point of it is she's a nurse, and she's a high paid nurse. She's like not just a regular nurse. She's a nurse with some extra letters on her back of her name and all this other stuff. And she makes great money. Now, when she first thought about retiring, she had $400,000 in her retirement account. And she was like, Erica, what should I do? I said, you know what? If you take this $400,000 and you put it in some dividend stock, monthly dividend stock at this certain percent, you know, 10%, or I think I told her. Uh, 15, 12 or 13% or something like that, you can walk away every year with uh, 100 grand almost in your pocket or, or not 100 grand, it was like $52,000 or something in your pocket. And mm-hmm. she looked at me, she thought about it, 
Then she just spent some of the money on vacation and travel, and then went back to working a nurse again. And that just taught me in that lesson, even when people get all this windfall money or they got this big lump sum of money, if they haven't been doing something for many years, like one, two, three, four years of putting this money away, they can't play the bigger game because they haven't already done it in their mind. So when I meet guys and girls who are like, Erica, I bought one little duplex. I'm so excited. I'm like, guess what? I'm excited for you because you've already decided you're going to play a bigger game. You've already decided. You've already decided. I'm going. I'm on this path over here. Average won't do for me. And there's a guy called Eric Thomas. I love him. Don't be average. That's his number one thing. Don't be average. That's average. Why are you being average? You, you know, be phenomenal. Be great. Or be forgotten. Don't be average. Decide decide what you want to do. If you want to be phenomenal, you can be phenomenal. It's a decision. Yes. Sometimes it takes an outsider to to broaden your horizon, so to speak. Because uh, even with my mentor in New York City, I think I had about seven rolling units at this time. And um, I was just going over a deal in front of the group, you know, just going over the numbers of this four unit I just closed. So I'm, I'm up to seven. And it took me three years to get to seven. And he's like, how much passive income do you need to quit your day job? I said, I need an additional $2,000 a month. He's like, man, that's so easy. Why don't you just get you a 10-unit? And just get $200 <laughs> for profit per unit. Just buy a 10-unit. You can do that tomorrow. And I'm like, what the heck are you smoking? It took me three long years to get seven. A single family, a dude Then I did something big out of four-unit. But then for someone just to say, it's easy to play your bigger game. And I start to think, like, you know what? If he can believe I can do it, why not me? Why can't I believe it? Why can't I add my faith with him so two or three can agree is touching? It'll be done into them. Exactly. And then I really had to, I really had to check myself because my mindset was, was low. It was average at that point. And that year, instead of doing 10, I ended up doing 21. Simply because... I start wrapping my mind around a bigger idea. But thank thank you for sharing that. Um a lot of a lot of nuggets, a lot, a lot of wisdom in this phone call. Um in this podcast. Sorry, I tried to be I tried to make it orchestrated, but it's hard. When you have these ideas. Yeah, yeah, I I I understand too. I'm I'm the same way sometimes my YouTube videos. They're like, Man, why are you being so long winded? I'm like, I don't know, dog, it's just the way I am. I'm trying to change. I'm trying. But, um, well, so people want to get in contact. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Erica. Go ahead. I was going to say about being long-winded, what's funny about that is I, you have to know the times when and when not, right? If somebody's already took the time to be on this podcast, they want to hear some answers, right? So when I'm on Facebook, if somebody's asking me a quick, quick question on Facebook, I'll give them a quick answer right back because Facebook's different from us talking. And so that's my difference. Like when I'm on YouTube, I watch hour-long YouTube videos. Now, I'm going to break them down. I mean, I listen to them all at one time, but I listen to them. Same thing with podcast. You can drive down the road an hour and hear this whole podcast. Right? You can go to work every There's always a fast forward button. There's always a fast forward button. (laughs) So so that's how I look at that. Right. All right. So uh, let me ask you, uh, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best mode or communication for you? I want them to go on www. Classy, C-L-A-S-S-Y-S-C-L dot com. Hit the contact button, and a, a whole form pops up, and it'll email me. It'll email me whatever they say, okay, whatever perfect. they put. 
And if, if you don't mind, when I do this podcast, I'll also put your uh, website link on the description so they can see how it's spelled out and click on it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Get on there. I mean, I, I try to throw as many uh, business ones on there, but I also try to go well-rounded and talk about life and friendships and relationships. I just, from my conversation a day ago, I've already put together a blog about what we talked about. 10x friends, on-the-level friends, and um, mentee-level friends or people you're trying to encourage. Because it's just, it's great information you just dropped. And I want people to make sure they heard it. So, um, but definitely reach out to me on there. You can find me on YouTube. Simple site, it's Erica S. Williams at C. It's Erica Erica S. Williams CC for Classy Clown, of course. Um, but I do a lot of videos. You can Google Slow and Low Series. You can Google uh, Warren Pablo on there. Slow and Low Series. 100% finance. Uh, there's a lot of ways to yep. connect. And I also wanted to uh, just make a special note of some uh, things I wrote down that I thought was very, uh, very touching to me um, in regard to everything you said. I just wrote down like six things I thought that stood out. One of the things you mentioned was, um, you know, your business not receiving a certain amount of income at first, but you, in my wording, I like to say like, you want to appreciate the first fruits. You know, the first fruits might not be abundant, but you should really appreciate it as you're actually seeing some type of manifestation from all that hard work that you invested into it. And I think oh, yeah. a lot of people, they dis- discredit that because, and, and a lot of things I, I, I wrote down too about this conversation is you need to really check your expectations. You know, sometimes you might be expecting too big, you know, the first year you expect to make a billion dollars, and it's like, well, like you mentioned, Mr. Wonderful said, it might take three years to, to turn a profit around. And then you might have to check your expectations, like, all right, you're used to doing this, you're getting complacent, you plateaued, you just start expecting more now. Go out there and play a bigger game. And I like the fact that you mentioned about blocking your time out so you can devote time to separate businesses and that you communicate with your staff. And, hey, do I need to mute this person? Or maybe I can outsource it to someone else, like a VA. You said it time and time again, which is which needs to be reiterated over and over, taking action, not just an, an analyzing things until the wheels fall off, but you're taking action. Even you might not have all the complete information available. And another thing I like that you said, not only just know your numbers, but make sure you have control over your numbers. Make sure you have control over your expenses, where the money's coming in, where it's going out. So I think that was very, uh, very, very good tips. I wanted just to reiterate at the end of this podcast for you listeners, if you had to take anything from that call, just those six points right there, they were just mind-blowing to me personally. No, right, you're not. So, uh, but any final words? Um, there's, a old, there's a Marine saying, things they do in the Marines and the Army. Once you get 70% of the information, Get going. Because by the time you get 100% of reason, conditions have changed. So if it's good enough for the Army, if it's good enough for Marines, and they're putting their life on the line, it's good enough for us out here.